0: Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table.
1: Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the official talk show for the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis, or AI Arthritis for short, my name is Katie and I'm a person living with an AI Arthritis disease and I'm a reoccurring co-host on the show and a very proud member of the AI Arthritis team, working as the Senior Programs and Communications Manager. In this episode, we're going to be talking about experiences being a young person and being diagnosed with an invisible disease and also the importance of differentiating between the different types of arthritis conditions and how that relates to juvenile types of arthritis diseases. And today, I'm joined with Deb. Hi, Deb. Hi,
2: everybody. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Deb Constein. I am in the Madison, Wisconsin area. I am also a reoccurring co-host, as like Katie. And yeah, this is a topic near and dear to my heart because I was diagnosed with RA between 13 and 15. It moved a little bit, but the concrete diagnosis about 15 was RA. So yeah, this is a near and dear topic to my
1: heart. (laughs) Same for me. I didn't really specify just then, but I was diagnosed at a similar age, but my rheumatologist has mentioned that I was probably symptomatic as early as 10 years old. RA, or or what we're going to talk about as far as how we refer to our own diseases. Um, when I was diagnosed, it was JIA, juvenile idiopathic arthritis, but now it would be systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis.
2: Yeah, and again, I'm the old person on here. I'm about I'm 51 years old. So back in the day, it was still you know early on called JRA juvenile rheumatoid arthritis that's what I and mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, they didn't even have pediatric rheumatologists back then
1: <laughs> no and and my diagnosis was about 20 years ago my mom had actually found one pediatric rheumatologist in our area oh and one female rheumatologist so she's like it's down to those two I think you're gonna prefer the female over the pediatric guy and I'm grateful she did because I've I've been with her for 20 years. So Wow, that's
2: amazing. Um, yeah, back in the day, mine was a adult rheumatologist because, like I said, they didn't have pediatric rheumatologists. I was diagnosed shortly after a foot surgery, and basically that was a life-changing foot surgery because what was a simple surgery turned into my trigger for my disease popping up. They initially, because of my age, went with JRA, the Juvenile Rheumatoid Arthritis, and I tended to have a lot of symptoms like lupus, so lupus was tossed in there. In the first two years of diagnosis, I had so much destruction in my joints that he went straight to RA because he says, you're not behaving like any other disease at this point, so we're going to have to hit this with the big guns. (laughs) So yeah, it was um, pretty rapid within those two years for just adjusting. So I've stuck with that at this point.
1: And I'll go a little bit into it, but then I want to talk more about, again, how we refer to it. But I've been trying to think, like my origin story, as it were, as far as, you know, what caused it? Did I have any triggers? And I don't quite know if I did. I remember back in third grade, I would get these, not tonsillitis, but like a weird throat thing. And I'm wondering if that maybe happened because it basically was, I think, a slower progression. But then all of it once was like, wait, something's not right here. Something is quite wrong. Yeah. And it's interesting as an adult, I've been aware that so many people struggle with a diagnosis. But I never wanted to be sick. And and for so long, people were kind of like, well, you have a fever, but, you know, you don't have a, a cough or sore throat. Or, you know, your feet hurt, but, you know. Maybe you're just, you know... Growing. A, a, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, I, I have two older brothers. So maybe you're just not as strong or, or have the tolerance or something. So it was never, as far as like the invisible part, there was never a visible reason. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and it does. And I don't, you know, it's what it is. I don't blame anyone. I wouldn't right. have known either. But it's, it's funny because so many people struggle with the diagnosis. But my rheumatologist diagnosed me like practically on site. She opened the door, looked in, you've got arthritis. And so so I thought that was kind of, you know, so many people, like, there's a definitive trigger. They've struggled. And for me, it's like, that was my, I don't know, beginnings. Yeah. But like you said, you had probably for,
2: like, two years already been having symptoms of sorts. So,
1: yeah, I, I get that. So, yeah, it's, you know, not seeking a diagnosis, but still yeah and i remember being diagnosed the rheumatologist said something about rheumatoid arthritis and i don't know about you i had no idea what that was
2: well back then no i mean i didn't know about a lot of those things and i remember during those two years i remember when the lupus got brought into it walking in on a conversation when my grandparents so my mom's parents were over and my mom and dad were downstairs in the basement we were in a tri-level house And I walk in there and all of them are like in tears and talking through things. And they were trying to hide everything from me. And from that day forward, I basically let them know I want to know everything that's going on. I want to know every step of the way. Uh, You know, this is me. Don't try to sugarcoat anything. (laughs) That was a hard discussion. I, I I mean, I'm vividly remembering it right now. I remember walking down the stairs and seeing them all and the shocked look on their faces when they saw me. And they were trying to kind of, you know, push it over like everything's okay, and, you know, there's no big deal and that kind of thing. And I it's hard. Yeah. (laughs) I just remember just being very forceful about that because I was like, yeah, no, you're not going to shut me down just because, I mean, this is all about me and we're not going to like hide any facts. I want to know everything right away. I I think it was also my doctor's personality. The first time I met him, I didn't like him only because he was touching all of my joints and pushing on everything. And and it hurts. oh, big time. And I just remember being like, stop doing that. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if, if it hurts, stop doing that. Well, yeah. Stop touching.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or, or like, tell me what you're going to do before you do it. So I yeah. can tell you like, wait, no, that hurts too much or yeah. Some parameters, mm-hmm. communication and boundaries. and Oh yeah. Uh, but know. no, that's, I don't think I ever had that kind of conversation, but I think that probably would have helped me as far as mm-hmm. um, I didn't understand, I think, the things I needed to understand at that time. So right. that is, I mean, kudos to you for, for knowing that, for doing it, so.
2: Yeah, you know, and again, lupus is a whole different disease too. And it being so systemic, it can affect all your, I mean, like RA too, but I think back then, I remember doing some research on lupus itself And that was a very doom and gloom picture of what I was reading. And they were trying to, like, hide that from me as far as what, if it was that diagnosis, what that could mean. And I think that's why they were so shook up, because they were doing their research. and
1: They're concerned and stressed, and they need to understand, yeah, it's difficult.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I was not that kind of a person, but I came that kind of person because I think with that type of a diagnosis it it makes you for who I am as an adult I mean for sure as far as that goes but yeah it it definitely defines who you are and how you deal with
1: it and I mean it's not something you can ignore (laughs) that's for sure no and and I've I've definitely tried doing that and it did not work well for me yeah yeah exactly and I get that I get that for sure so back to what we are going to talk about a little bit as far as how do we, how do we describe it and like understand it? Because I know, like I mentioned, I didn't really know what, I, I knew what arthritis was. And mm-hmm. of course, like most people, it's like, that's an old person's disease. Exactly. That's what you get when you're older. Right. And when I was diagnosed and trying to explain to people, my peers in middle school, they had absolutely no idea. So right. if I ever had to explain it, it usually would just be arthritis.
2: And that's basically what I stuck with too, as far as that went. I also do know that with new medications and how they make you feel, I really had only the amount of energy to be in school, to get home and to do my homework. And I kind of like hovered it, you know, I guess if I were to look back at my disease progression and everything like that, if there was ever a depressed time, I think it was probably then because I remember just not having the energy. Friends would ask me to do things and I would have to say no. Or they'd ask me to go skiing or you know, snow skiing, or even water skiing. Even to this day I've never had water skis or snow skis on my feet. And after having a new replacement, no, I don't think I think my my window has passed and I'm okay with that. But I was saying no so much. For things people stopped asking, they did that's yeah. exactly what happened, mm-hmm. and that it, it just became kind of more of a reality in its own way. It, and it was just hard to keep up with the energy and things like
1: that, exactly. Especially like you know, teenagers, and you know, they're kind of known for being energetic, but I would mm-hmm. very similar situation, I would get up and high school started at 7 15 so to be up ready and there so early when arthritis affects you you know morning stiffness is right. terrible mm-hmm. i'd come home i'd go to i'd fall asleep i'd wake up i'd eat i'd do homework i'd go back to sleep
0: yeah yeah and like it no becomes real,
1: cyclical yeah and no extracurriculars no kind of um i remember i think i did a sleepover once i slept on the floor woke up in miserable pains oh, like not yeah. doing that again
2: I can't even imagine.
1: Yeah, I, I'd, you know, every once in a while I'd make it to an event or something. But people, like like I said, people would stop asking. So you kind of, you still have friends and stuff and you, you realize early on, like the quality versus quantity of friends matters oh, yeah. so
2: much. Oh, so. for sure. Um, absolutely. And that is a huge piece. You know, I was a very active person before I had surgery. So I, my, I had an older brother. I was out there shooting hoops with him and we would, you know, tag football. Cause again, he had known that his friends were there. So I was the next person to play with and we did all kinds of things, but that kind of came to a crashing halt. I was a competitive swimmer for the swim team in high school and I transitioned to, to being their manager instead of a swimmer and i was also third chair flute that came to a crashing halt and just a few years ago i finally was able to i I looked at my flute and pulled it out and i got i tried to actually put my fingers over the holes to actually play my flute just to see if you know my fingers wouldn't even line up with the holes anymore and i think it i mean this is 25, 30 years into having RA and then I, I was like, okay, I think it's time to pass this on because I am never going to be able to play this again. And I'm okay with that. And it, I think it just took that reality to kind of come. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: It, it, It's a process and it's, you know, you have to come to terms with things, but in your own time. And like you said, it's interesting how it kind of like shapes you as a person and informs you because I I love TV and movies, and I think that's kind of, you know, maybe I wouldn't as much if I didn't have arthritis.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm also one that is always looks on the bright side and looks that, you know, my situation could be so much worse, because it can, for sure. And there's so many other diseases and things that can actually happen to you that are a whole lot worse. And, again, you don't know how long you're going to be on this earth, but take each day as a gift so and
1: like i again similar and i don't know how much of that is me naturally or what i've become but like i definitely can enjoy a rainstorm or a good book or something that isn't fully physical like there's definitely a lot of joy and it doesn't mean that yeah. i'm not forced into that everyone right. can enjoy something like that so absolutely there's yeah it doesn't yeah. take away anything right exactly
2: so, did we only throw out a question to our audience? So, if you were diagnosed as a young person, are you still using the same diagnosis? Are you calling it JRA, JIA, or I mean, are did you it RA? Yeah, has it changed to RA or something like that? Or we could even compare it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, we could even compare it to the Stills disease, the umbrella term that now exists.
1: And right now when we're recording this stills disease awareness day is coming up so that's kind of a good plug for you know awareness efforts and something i did not know about stills disease was that it is an umbrella term it's kind of a continuum of two different diseases and not right i shouldn't say different per se so there's systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis and then adult onset stills disease and the difference is basically when you are diagnosed and that cutoff is 16. And something, when I was first diagnosed, I thought juvenile adult was 18 or maybe 21, but 16 is the magic kind of number for this. Okay. So yeah, Stills disease, umbrella term. So it can refer to both of those, juvenile and adult. Yeah.
2: Again, you know, having this conversation, it just brings us to what AI arthritis stands for. And we just care so deeply for all of our communities out there of all the different diseases that fall under our categories. And, you know, we have so many different projects that we apply towards these things. We've got our precision medicine. We've got the differentiating disease types, which this specifically speaks to is everybody's different. Again, your path is different. And, you know, Tiffany even brought up this, through an email for us. Like a couple weeks ago, she threw it out to folks that she knew was diagnosed young. And she kind of asked us how our journey went. And they were all so different. I mean, yours was different. Mine was different. Suze's was different. And we were diagnosed around similar ages. But again, Suze and I are probably older. So again, pediatric rheumatologist never existed back then. But it just... Are you following exactly what your doctor said or is it um, mine goes specifically to it was JRA, then sort of lupus in there, but that was a discussion just because I wasn't lining up with everything the way normal. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I was definitely (laughs) not the normal patient. Yeah. That's one thing we always find about ourselves. We don't fit into those cute little boxes. And Uh, who's
1: defining normal?
2: Yeah, exactly. You're right. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. Yeah, within the first two years, we went straight to RA just because of the damage that was happening so quickly. And he's like, yeah, you, this is not behaving anything like the juvenile form. So he went to RA at the age of, at that point, between 14 and 15. So it's interesting.
1: Yeah, and you brought up like so many different topics. Um, yeah, yeah. And for me, it was JRA, and I only really use that in a medical setting. I, I so think with your doctor, to,
2: or yeah. if you're talking amongst people that have similar yeah. diseases, would you use that? Okay.
1: And I think this can probably be a whole other, you know, topic of discussion. But I think we both had surgeries last year, yeah. and at one point, they're like, "Okay, so what's your medical history, or something to that effect?" I'm like, "Oh, all right." I'm like, "Oh, wait, no." Not RA, JR. They're like, what? Like, and then like I could see them like scribbling or something, or, or hear it over the phone. I'm like, oh, yeah. I guess it. I in this situation, it really does matter. Um, but it in does. pretty much every other situation, I just either RA or arthritis, and usually I only say RA when they bring it up, because every once in a while the invisible becomes visible, and they're like, oh, oh, yeah. Do you have you know something, or do you have rheumatoid arthritis? So yeah, yeah. in that case, like I realize usually like they understand. They know it. They recognize it. They're, you know, part of the community. Right. Um, but getting back to what you mentioned as far as differentiating different types of AR arthritis and precision medicine, there's so much overlap and so much nuance and so much, you know, personality of diseases and personalities of people. Yes. Um, that it is, it's great to kind of bring together the entire community of the different diseases, but it also is so important to differentiate and to make sure that we're using the correct diagnosis and getting a proper diagnosis. Oh, and for some, I mean, it takes so many
2: years to even be believed by doctors just because your labs are all looking great and you look great and, you know, all of those things. And the, I mean, they look at you like you have three heads, like, well, I mean, this must be in their head, that kind of thing.
1: Or you're you want attention, or you want yes. pain pills, or yeah, or some so other reason ways. other than actually getting treated. So it Absolutely. can be so difficult. I know. And I wanted to mention that to sort of being diagnosed. So I know the day I, I think the very day I was diagnosed, my rheumatologist brought up the kind of not. Um, comorbidity or multimorbidity of another disease but like a symptom of uveitis and she wanted me to be tested right away and I understand now why and the reasons and what might I mean but at the time I was so freaked out well she-, she brought the
2: stress level up because again she was so intent on probably talking about it that you picked up on the extremes
1: yeah yes. and the importance of this mm-hmm. and and she mentioned you know like worst case scenarios, blindness and of course that I heard, but that I understand. That yeah. was like, what's happening? Like, yeah, definitely I'm gonna out. be blind, yeah. Yeah, it's like, whoa, wait, hold on. I don't even know what rheumatoid, like what? And I think if you explain or kind of back up a little bit, that would help. But I wanted to know, were you tested for anything like uveitis? And then I know enticitis is another kind of common thing, but more so for other AR arthritis types. Were you, as a juvenile, I, I'm not even sure how to label what the proper kind of term is. I know, I I get that. (laughs) So
2: back in my day, Mm -hmm. I think the biggest worry at that point, because I was diagnosed prior to biologics being on the scene. So the types of medication were not nearly as good. And the big concern kind of laid with, would I be in a wheelchair? Would I be wheelchair bound? And I remember it became kind of a point when I was dating my husband at the time and his mom ended up kind of just talking to Tim, just being like, do you understand? I mean, would she be able to be a mom and, you know, if her disease gets worse and all of those things? And, you know, at the time, knowing that that conversation happened, it was kind of hurtful But I completely understood it from a mother's perspective,
1: and it's yeah, and it's so many conversations like that. I I can understand why they're happening, but again, it doesn't mean that I like it, yeah, (laughs) or appreciate it. Yeah, (laughs) I'm gonna have my feelings about it. It's kind of like the whole, you know, with an invisible illness. You don't look sick, like I kind of get where they're coming from, but it can be so dismissive and so condescending and all these other, you know, complexities that go along with it. Absolutely. But yeah, so it's kind of, it's alarming, but it's good that as the research and science develops that we get all these different kind of, you know, we should screen for this. We should screen for all these different.
2: Yeah. And I never had eye problems, so I didn't have any of the symptoms. I never was really ever screened for uveitis or maybe I was, but in the office they did a look or, you know, maybe that did happen because I knew I went for eye care visits and they did know that I had RA at that point and nothing was ever alarming and nothing ever was out of whack.
1: And I think for me, it was like two or three years, every six months I'd get my eyes dilated. Oh. Okay, so
2: so no, I wasn't going through any of that at that point. (laughs) I was going to say
1: that sticks out as far as, you know, maybe a bit more memorable experience. Right. Yeah, so being able to have the different tests and knowing what to screen for, what not to screen for, for differentiating, for getting early intervention, because I know, I think you and Tiffany have talked about this, there's been more and more research in the conferences as far as how early intervention, early treatment creates remission and can be so impactful for patients.
2: Yeah, that is by far something that have we've noticed at going to the conferences that is just popping up in the last year and a half, two years that we haven't heard all these other years when we've been going to the ACR the American College of Rheumatology or ULAR and which is the European version of the you know, the same type of conference. So, yeah, it has been interesting as far as that goes for sure.
1: We've got a project coming up arthritis with Novartis. Yeah, Novartis along with anticitis. So, that's really exciting for me and probably for you as someone with a yeah. you know juvenile diagnosis. Yeah. But I also as far as what we do when we're first diagnosed as juveniles, it matters. It matters big time as far as as an adult, you know, our quality of care, quality of life. Yep, exactly. And getting that kind of early intervention. Absolutely. But then something I also keep thinking about is how different it can be as far as the term juvenile. It can be just, you know, a newborn or it can be up to a teenager. And just right. how different those people can be.
2: Yeah, and I have a few friends that were diagnosed at around 6 months and that's when their journeys with their parents started because they'd start reverting back to uh, they wouldn't be on their knees anymore or they wouldn't crawl and they cry out cuz I mean, what is your communication at 6 months old? That is just mind-blowing. How do you get that across that I don't want to go on my wrists and my knees because it causes pain. Yes, exactly. So they went through quite a journey, and the mom was very persistent with, I know my child, and something isn't right. Her milestone, she's not meeting her milestones anymore. She's just laying on her belly. She you know, makes funny sounds when I'm trying to move her, that kind of thing. So that is mind blowing because I mean, at least being at the age of 13, I was able to say, you know, yes, that hurts. No, that doesn't. Yeah. Life is very different. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: And I don't have any children, but I know that moms know the different types of cries. Like, oh, Oh, that's a hungry cry. That's, a you know, needing a changing cry. So I'm sure that's a different kind of cry. And, yes. and like they know, of course they know. So yeah. it's, it's again, fascinating, but unfortunate, but great that they were able to, you know, be an advocate and get the, the care. Right. Their, and that's just baby. a
2: persistent, yeah. yeah, it's a persistent parent. I'm sure doctors see all kinds. There's Munchausen where parents are associating diseases on their kids. So I'm sure the doctors are trying to figure out from what they're dealing with, what the deal is. Because, you know,
1: and maybe new parents who don't know exactly downside it or downgrade it. Yeah. Or yeah. And and any kind of anything that doctors must see, like so many different types of worry and, you know, presentations. So that's got to be difficult. Mind blowing. Yeah, Yeah.
2: exactly. And I have a 22 year old. So I remember back in the day and all of those type of worries and, you know, you're paranoid all the time.
1: (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah. Like I, I have two cats. I'm, I'm worried for them. Yeah, and it's like I can't imagine, you know, having a little baby yes. to be responsible for. Um, exactly. But another thing that I think is kind of brought up a little bit is the journey, the journey to a diagnosis. But it doesn't stop there. It, it's, no. it's a lifelong, you know, absolutely explore, adventure. Sometimes, you know, yes, good, exactly. bad, other. It's exactly.
2: Yeah. And how many extra doctors can I add to my protocol as far as how many doctors you see? And um, yeah, you know, since the era of biologics have actually hit, those type of medications have actually helped my disease progression really, really slow down. Because even just being on multiple medications, but biologics are a whole nother breed of medication that have just again helped me so much. I'm at the point now that I'm fixing what the first 20 years of disease progression was and I've in the past two and a half years done complete reconstruction of both of my feet now. Because I'm looking ahead to when we retire and we want to be able to walk more and travel and all of those things just trying to look ahead to those kind of things because when people look at me, they would not know that something's wrong unless they look at my hands. And then my hands are their first clue that something's up because I, I kind of cover up and carry on and don't complain very much
1: at all just because I don't. And I think we all get to be tough. <laughs> We're tough people. I mentioned I was in my own surgery and the nurse is like, oh, you people with RA, you know, you're tough. And that's exactly what she said. Like you, you people are so strong. And I'm like, I guess we are. (laughs) Yeah, Um, exactly. But it's so similar, but also kind of slightly different. I, so far, am only on one medication, only have one specialist. I have my orthopedic surgeon, but just a rheumatologist. But it's like I'm I'm waiting for for the rest to come. Like I'm kind of expecting that. Um, Yeah. But the medication I'm on is fairly new. And I'd say I'm kind of like the best health I've ever been in right now.
2: That's awesome to and hear. It's,
1: That's awesome. Yeah. So, th- I mean, there's always hope. Like, you know, yeah. definitely want to put that out there. Um, things are always getting better. Absolutely. And there's new medications. Yeah, there's always yeah. new medications coming out. I had both my hips replaced last year, two different surgeries. And again, it's like, I've got more to do. Like, I want to do more. You know, this isn't working for me. Right. But like you said, walking around, like a big thing for me was, you know, I want to walk on a beach again and not think about pain. Like, I want to enjoy Right. And Beach. actually be able to look
2: around and actually hear the waves and see everything bef- before you're in your own little tunnel of, oh, my Not God. Not looking every for somewhere to sit. Foot. Yeah. Every step hurts. And all of those things that go with that, I 100% get that. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah.
1: Oh, ab- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, again, like very, very similar. So, yeah, um, yeah sure. the journey kind of never ends.
2: Yeah, it doesn't. And it never will, and I'm okay with that. That's yeah, it's okay. Like that's yeah. how
1: life is. Exactly. And there's also like these moments of community and camaraderie. We get it. Going through a struggle together bonds people and, and oh, creates friendships. One hundred percent.
2: Yeah. Again, learning what people, what everyone's journey is, and the similarities and different things. Yeah, I'm to the point where I've had two cervical neck fusions. I'm now fused from C two down to T1. And I've had my right wrist fused. I've had my left knee replaced, both feet, reconstructive surgery. You know, you kind of forget about things too. I'm trying to think of what else (laughs) I've had done. I know I've had other surgeries. So there's, again, there's multiple, but it's just the routine you get into and that's okay.
1: (laughs) It's funny. After I was done with my second hip surgery, a lot of people, I wasn't, expecting it. But a lot of people are like, so what's next? What are you going to replace next? I'm like, can I you know, recover fully from this one first? And then, you know, I'll decide from there. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure there will be a next. So. Oh, yeah. But it's-
2: and my feet, as far as those went, they were on my list of things to do. You know, I know how that w- weird that sounds, but um, probably for 10 years and doctors kept just reminding me and I kept going back every couple of years so I probably went 3 times to the foot surgeon just to kind of find out what what is ahead of me what is going to need to be happening and then I stated when I was ready to start
1: yes yeah. and that's that's like a big thing cuz a lot of people are like oh why didn't you get it done sooner cuz you're you know so know. much better now but it's like I wasn't ready And my rheumatologist, I think it was as long as 10 years ago. She's like, you're going to need your hips replaced. And, you know, I was asking, like, when, how, all those questions. She's like, "Sure, as long as you can tolerate it, get them done whenever you're ready. And then I basically reached a breaking point as far as, you know, this is no longer tolerable. And you made the decision. Yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't great timing, but it kind of worked out. Yeah. But yeah, it definitely, you need to be ready. Yeah even with changing your medication or trying a new type of treatment if you're doing like a injection or infusion you you have to be ready for it so yeah and know what's up in front of you i
2: remember i was between rheumatologists and i was going to a new rheumatologist my biologic wasn't working and he said well i'm not prescribing a new biologic to you until you have reconstructive foot surgeries on both feet and get both of your hands done Because your hands are in horrible shape. And he's like, until you get that done, I'm, I mean, nothing's going to work for you. And I was like, "Um, that was the one and only time I saw that doctor. So he got fired right away. Because I was like, well, you're not on the same spectrum I am. And I'm like, I mean, you're not, you can't tell me when I'm going to be And it's been, at least for the feed, it was 10, 15 years from when he said I needed to have it.
1: It, it It's. definitely the wrong approach but as you say that I'm realizing that my medication has worked so much better after my hip surgery yeah so like there might be a nugget of truth to that but like that is definitely the wrong approach like you don't oh, just, yeah
2: yeah no I wasn't ready demand for that.
1: <laughs> and, no <laughs>
2: yeah
1: it's it's like you know with the uveitis and possibly like you're not ready for that let mm-hmm. me sit with the first igno- yeah so it's doctor patient communication like there's definitely sure. a better way to get to the common goal of better care. 100%. Work together, not against each other. Exactly.
2: That's exactly how I feel about it. And my rheumatologist now, she's great. We see eye to eye. And what I really like is she writes down on her piece of paper that she's, it's carbon copied, so she shares it with me. But as far as what the next approach is, she'll lay down, well, this is an option, this is an option, and this is an option. What do you see happening? And what do you want to do next? And it's totally shared decision making. I'll ask her what her opinion is, but then we keep going back and forth and talking about pros and cons and, Again, with COVID, that was a whole spectrum of things um, as far as being able to, you know, from afar doing the online things and being able to hurt, like, okay, here's my hands. I'm showing to you, them to you on the video <laughs> right now. Um, those kind of things. It, it was a different thing, but it, I really respect that. It's shared decision-making. It's not her it's choice. A conversation. It's our choice. Yeah.
1: She's not instructing, demanding, telling. Right. You are right. talking about it together and then... Right. Making its shared decision.
2: Yes, exactly, exactly.
1: So I think this is just the beginning of what can be many topics of conversation. So many different aspects as far as when you're chronically young or young and chronic or however you want to describe it. Exactly. And hopefully all of you out there listening will, will join us. Yes.
2: And think of an aspect from your own life of how this can go. One that jumps to my mind is how do you encourage Young adults, I would say early 20s, that they're newly diagnosed and they don't want to be treated with medications and things like that. I see a future episode of sorts that is going to be a continuation of that.
1: Absolutely.
2: So I think, so now that we've put this on the table,
1: mm-hmm. it
2: is, we're going to look at it as being the 360 view and that conversation is going to continue we want there to be sub discussions that come out so this is going to be the only one that's going to be like this the sunday episodes you're going to have to find out where the other sub discussions occur on youtube and facebook live and there's unlimited possibilities of what you would like to do so how do we continue
1: Yeah, how do we continue this? I was going to say, in particular, there's a special Facebook group for our talk show that you can join. And you can find us on all of our social media platforms by searching for IFAI Arthritis, which is short for International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. And like you said, it's limitless, timeless. Talk about whatever this comes to mind.
2: We would love that. And we'd love for you to continue just what is your view? What, what was it like for you? Are you using the same diagnosis from when you were a child? Is it different? How do you, what, What's your insight on that? Or are you just using what the doctor tells you? I mean, it could be any of those type of things and everybody's
1: different. Absolutely. How do you identify with your disease? And I'm curious, as, do you use juvenile as an adult? Do you not? Does it seem weird? Do you feel weird if you tell someone that you have a juvenile disease? So I don't. I use RA. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. So no. Yeah. But I usually tell them I was diagnosed at the age of 13.
1: So. Sure. Like you explain it. Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. I was diagnosed a many years ago with a JRA. Yeah, I do the same. But again, we want to know, what do you all say? When do you say it? How do you say it? Does it matter? And what matters to you about it? and if you're looking for more episodes of our talk show we are on many of the bigger platforms podbean spotify apple podcasts so you can subscribe to our show there you can also find all of our episodes on our main website aiarthritis.org/talkshow let's keep the conversation going if you prefer a more private form of communication you can also message us through your social media account or you can even email us at podcast at aiarthritis.org you summed it up beautifully
0: AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI Arthritis news and events.